Today's scripture readings in 1 Peter 1 to 12. Greeting. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It's the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you here. Welcome to Edge City Church. My name is Finn. I serve as uh, the lead pastor here at Edge City Mineola. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we just thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for just the ways that you have moved so powerfully already, God, during this time of worship. Lord, we just present these next few moments into your hands that you will just have your way, Father. Have your way. God, I just hide myself behind the cross that you will be seen and I will just get out of the way. I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, as Justin read, we are starting a brand new sermon series in the book of 1 Peter. And the, the title of this series is, this is uh, it's called Standing Strong on Grace. This is a sermon series that is uh, going to be shared right here at Edge City Mineola. And I'm so excited to be sharing this uh, message here. Um, I'm just going to frame up the sermon this way. The author of this book, for those of you who may not know, is the Apostle Peter. And uh, Peter is one of the, the disciples of Jesus, and Peter was a large personality. Uh, you see, Peter, our author, was both a man of courage, um, of faith, courageous faith, and he, he was also a man of, who was a hot mess, right, of like tragic failures. <laughs> And sometimes he was actually both of those on the very same day. 
And so some fun facts about Peter. Peter was one of the, uh, Peter had this courage, right, to get out of the boat and to walk on water, to, to walk on the water to go to Jesus. Peter was also the one who infamously denied Jesus three times in front of a teenage girl. Peter was also the person that was renamed by Jesus the rock after he was the first of the disciples to declare that Jesus, you are the Christ. Peter was also, on the other hand, called Satan by Jesus as well, because Peter declared that Jesus, you shouldn't have to die. And so, yeah, when you, when you get called the devil by Jesus, that's not a good day right there. Uh, Peter was also a person who was high risk, high reward kind of a guy. Um, he has been known for just saying plenty of foolish things. Uh, he has been nicknamed the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. Uh, so this right here is our friend Peter. He is also, on you know, the other hand, Peter is also this incredible trophy of God's grace. In fact, after denying Jesus three times, Jesus went on to reinstate Peter. And he went on to be one of the chief leaders of the early church and the leader of the apostles. He went on to preach to thousands of people, oversee whole regions of churches before he was ultimately martyred for his unwavering faith and devotion to Jesus. And so, yeah, I mean, Peter was absolutely a trophy of grace. And we find out that Peter went on to write a couple of books in the Bible, and we are going to be studying for the next two months this book of 1 Peter. Uh, this is actually a letter that he wrote to a group of churches that he oversaw. Uh, these were churches that were in five different regions throughout the Roman Empire, what today we would call the nation of Turkey. Uh, later on, uh, we, we see that this letter is written around the year 64 A.D., well, that's what the best that we can tell that it was written. It was written at a time of persecution as well, for persecution for the church, persecution for God's people. This was all common at that time. And uh, you know, when I think about this, when I think about when I think what makes this exceedingly relevant for our day today is that this was not a time of persecution that was empire-wide, right? Like, I want you to think of gladiator. I want you to think of lions and all that. Like, historically, this precedes that a little bit. And so this was when the church was, you know, just starting to come under some, just some heat and some pressure. When they were just having to navigate, well, you know, what does it look like to live out, just live out to walk this walk with Jesus Christ in a culture that maligns us, that misunderstands us, and also mocks us? And so they were having to learn how to live out their faith from this periphery of culture. And so at this time, uh, what we see is Christianity was kind of seen as very odd at the time. Uh, these people were, you know, they, they didn't worship the Roman gods. They rejected the, the rampant sex, uh, sexual promiscuity that was there, uh, that was common in their day. Uh, they believed in this man by the name of Jesus, and they said that he was God. And they also tried to convince their neighbors that Jesus was also God. And so they did this in a culture that looked at them very, very suspiciously. And so, you know, kind of looking at them out the side of the eye, wondering, what are you crazy Christians all about? They were met with, just met by suspicion at best and direct opposition at worst. 
And so Peter uh, writes this letter to these Christians who are just facing these very difficult times, who are facing these early signs of just significant persecution. And he writes this letter to instruct them, instruct them on how to live uh, out their faith for Jesus in this, in this margin of this culture, to, to live out this walk with Jesus when the culture around you does not cheer for you for following, in, following the path of Jesus. And so I just want to, I just want to just, just, I can't help but to ask, is there a situation that kind of sounds all too familiar when I say that? I mean, this is just extraordinarily just relevant for us today, this text. And if we're honest, we'll say, we'll agree that the, that the sun, it seems, is setting on America with the majority as a Christian culture here. And the dominant secular culture around us has a very vastly just different view than we have. Views on God, on morality, on humanity, on sexuality, and all of just the basic fundamental building blocks of just human civilization, right? And, and, and the followers of Jesus are finding ourselves more and more just on the margins of and just opposition to the mainstream currents of our culture today. And as we are at this tipping point as believers in America, we have a few options. And those options are, option number one, what we have is that we can just assimilate. Assimilate to the culture around us. We can just go with the flow and we can just, you know, we can just compromise and we can just avoid all the awkwardness, all the opposition, all the persecution. So that's option one that we can do. Option number two, we could do this. We can just sort of, you know, bury our heads in the sand and we can just lament the downward spiral of the culture that is around us right now. And we can just have this nostalgic longing for the good old days when things were a little bit easier in the good old days in our world and in our church. Or what we could do and what I propose that we do is that we can just learn from Peter we can learn from Peter, and that's why this book is in the Bible. He is going to teach us how we can stand strong in the grace of Jesus Christ in a culture that has just gone completely crazy all around us. In fact, Peter is very explicit about his purpose for writing this letter. So I would take us to chapter 5, the, the last chapter of 1 Peter, verse 12. And that's where he gives us basically like his thesis, right? Like right here in this chapter. And basically it's this very end of this book. And he says this. This is what he says. He says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. What you're truly experiencing is part of God's grace for you. And then he says this, standing firm in the grace. Another translation says, standing strong in this grace. And that's why he wrote this book, and that's going to be the title of our six-week series called Standing Strong in Grace. Standing Strong in Grace. And, uh, at the, at, at, and, and the senses, it's just, this is, this is really a very practical type of uh, a message here, these series of messages, because 1 Peter is very, very practical. 1 Peter answers questions like, um, how do we stand on, in grace in seasons of trial and opposition? 
How do we stand strong in grace with a secular government and a moral employer or maybe even an unbelieving spouse? How do we stand strong in grace when we face hardships and persecution because of our faith? How do we stand strong in grace when the devil is attacking us and he is tempting us? How do we stand strong in grace in the midst of all of these things? These are practical questions that Peter answers over the next five chapters in this letter that we're going to be investing our time in in the next two months or so, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and that is going to be our goal. But today's text is sort of a prelude here. Uh, It's an introduction to this very practical letter. And what Peter does before he goes into the practical side of it, into the how-to-do side of it, and on being a Christian in a, in a world that has just gone completely wild, he starts by laying out to his readers and to you and I today this rich, just gospel buffet of all that we have in Jesus Christ. And so it is as if he is saying, hey, before we navigate through on how to live in this world, can I just remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of all that you have been given in Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, which is kind of the, the bulk of our study today, um, it's in the original language, it is this, like this one run-on sentence here. And uh, you know what? It kind of feels like Peter didn't learn about punctuation, or you know, Peter, or, or maybe it's just Peter is just so excited, right? He's so elated that he communicates this radical love and generosity toward us. It's like Peter cannot come up for breath. He's so excited to say this, right? He he just cannot stop for a, a comma. He can't stop for a period. He just lays out all the graces that we have been given. Right, that we are to stand strong in this world, even in dif- difficult times in the grace of God. It's like, he's saying, it's like he's saying this, Dear friends of the Roman Empire, things are hard, things are very difficult, but begin here. Begin here. And so I've titled today's sermon, Begin Here. You've had a difficult year, but begin here. And we're going to learn from Peter, the word of God, and the word of God, how to stand strong in this grace, even in the difficult seasons of our life. All right, so here we go. We're going to walk through this text verse by verse. And, you know, I'm I'm going to highlight, I don't highlight so many things, but today I'm going to, I'm going all out. I'm, I'm highlighting six graces that Peter lays out for us to stand strong in these difficult times. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to go as fast as I can because it's a bunch of uh, graces that we're going to be talking about today. So here we go. Six graces that um, we need to stand strong on in difficult times. The very first one is this. The very first one is you can stand strong in your second birth. Stand strong in your second birth. Can you do me a favor? Can you say second birth? Verse 3 says this, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He's saying, praise God, praise God, even in difficult times. Why? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying, 
pray, you can praise God in difficult days because you have this grace. You have been born again. You have a second birth. You have a new birth. You have a spiritual birth. It's this idea is that, you know, when you were born first time, you were born physically. You were physically alive, but you were spiritually dead. The psalmist says this. He says, I was dead in my mother's womb. I was not yet alive to the things of God. The idea that we have sinned and we may be alive physically, but we are not alive spiritually. And just like we were born physically, we need to be born spiritually. There needs to come a time, a point in our life when we come alive spiritually. So how do we get born again? Maybe that's the question you're asking. How do we come alive spiritually? Verse 4 says this, that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? God called us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's how that works. You see, Jesus was always alive. He was born physically, and when he was born physically, he was already alive spiritually. Why? Because he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit. He did not have a sin nature that you and I have. Right? Jesus did not have that. Not only did he not have the sin nature, he did not inherit sin. He did not have any sin of the will, any sin of volition. He never disobeyed God. Right? He died a sinner's death, a penalty for, his sin, for sins, having never committed any sins. Why? He paid the penalty for our sins. For our sins. He faced a spiritual death, the wrath of God toward our sins. He then, what he did was he rose victoriously. He triumphed over sin, over the law, over, over Satan, over death. And he uh, now he gives us a new law to everyone who places their faith in the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And when we trust in Jesus, the life that he had, he has given to us victoriously, right? We, we cannot earn this. We, can, we just do not deserve this. But we who are dead spiritually come alive when he gives us this gift of salvation. This gift of salvation. And this is what the Bible calls being born again, being born anew, being born for the second time. And this is how the Apostle Peter starts off his letter. Five whole chapters telling us to walk with Jesus faithfully in a difficult world. He's saying, hey, begin here. Begin here. Remember that you have been born again. Right? Remember that you have a new life in Jesus Christ. Stand strong in this grace. Now, someone that is here, maybe someone that is listening online, maybe you're, 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 you know, you're new to your Bible, you're new to the faith, you're new to the Christian faith here, and you're asking a very re relevant question that I think we all need to ask. And the question that you may be asking is, how do I know if I'm born again? Right? How do I know if I'm born again? When people ask me that, questions, uh, that question, I usually ask them, well, how do you know that you were born physically? Well, you know by virtue of the fact that you have physical life, right? Like, that's how you know. 
Uh, most of you probably don't remember your physical birth. Right? Thank God for that. That will be traumatizing. But you may or may not remember that. But, but you may not or you may not remember your spiritual birth either, your second birth. Right? And by, by the way, like, I know that I was born by the virtue of the fact that I'm alive. That's how I know. And the, and the same way we know that we have been born again, we have been spiritually born again when we answer this question, well, am I spiritually alive? Am I, am I alive to God? That's a question that we got to ask. One of the ways that we see this working out throughout the scripture and in the Christian life is that the Bible says we get new desires, new desires, things that we didn't used to love, we now love. Things that we didn't, we didn't used to hate, we now hate. And how many of us are here today and, you know, like the moment you became a Christian, you thought to yourself, well, you know what? I never used to love Jesus and care about Jesus, but now all of a sudden I love Jesus and I care about Jesus. I, I, I love singing to God. I love his people, right? Like, I mean, for me, I'm a little bit of a cranky introvert and like, and still I love church and I love the people of God. And listen, that's called a new desire right there, right? And you might say, well, I used to actually enjoy sin. I used to think sin was like a hobby of mine. You know, like I majored in sin in college and it was like this new de- this desire of my flesh. But now I actually battle with the sin, right? I mean, I still struggle with the sin, but I just don't like it anymore. Like I, I actually want to kill it. Like I just, I hate sin and I love Jesus. Like where did that come from? It comes from the fact that you are born again. You're born again. You are alive spiritually. You have what the Bible calls a new desire. And we're going to talk about that in in, in a little bit. But the idea being that when you were born physically, you craved milk. When you were born spiritually, you start to crave the things of God. You were born spiritually again. So I would ask you this morning this question, are you born again? Have you been born anew? Have you been saved? Have you come alive to the things of God? If not, if you don't know, would you today trust in Jesus? Would you believe in Jesus? Would you give your whole life to Jesus? Would you trust, give all of your sins to Jesus? Would you surrender your entire life to Jesus, that Jesus Christ would make you new? That that he would have you be born again, born a second time. Peter says, If you have been born again, stand strong in this grace. Stand firm in the second birth. So that's the first one. The second grace that Peter points us to is this. He points us to your coming inheritance. Your coming inheritance. Let's pick it up in verse 4. It says this in verse 4. We have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. But Peter points us to an inheritance that we have coming our way 
that cannot be compromised, that cannot be diminished, that cannot be devalued, right, in any type of a way. It is coming our way. So, and so let me ask you a question here today. Let me ask you this question. And the question that I want to ask you is, um, how many of you have put, you know, money in the stock market before the 2000.com stock crash? How many of us are here today, put money in real estate? Let's say, you know, late 2007, early 2008. How many of us are here considering putting all of your money in golds and just burying your gold in your backyard or some yard? Just bury it. Is it just me? Right? It's 2021. I haven't ruled it out. Uh, gold bars and some silver plates and some gold coins buried in a yard right now, right? The problem is, it doesn't matter where you put your wealth. Eventually, someone is going to come. Someone or something is going to come and take it. Some of you have wealthy parents or grandparents, and you stand to get what is called an inheritance. But you need to remember, there is what is called an inheritance tax, a state tax. And Uncle Sam will get a cut, will cut on line, and he will get his cut before you get your cut. Because our wealth flies away. And even if you have great, like a great wealth manager, a wonderful CPA, a wonderful accountant, you know, a, law, a great lawyer who knows how to just keep and re retain your wealth, on that day, we do not take a dime with us, right? Proverbs 23, 5 says this, all wealth grows wings and flies away, and all God's people said, Amen. The idea is that you cannot keep it, right? Every inheritance that we have, every wealth that we have, every treasure and possession that we have will fly away. It is not imperishable. It is not undefiled. It does diminish. We lose all of it. We lose it all. But Peter lifts our gaze here, and he says, Christians, are you living in a difficult time? Stand strong in this grace. You have a great inheritance that is coming your way. You have an eternal inheritance that God has reserved for his children, that he is keeping safe in the storehouses of heaven that will not go away. Moth and dust will not destroy it, right? And it is waiting for you. And that is God, right? That is God will become ours. Everything that is his will become ours with him on that last day. Jesus said this in the, in the Beatitudes. He said this, the meek shall inherit the earth. The idea that we are shareholders and co-owners with God, everything that is in this new creation, it is a wealth, it is a privilege, it is a gift. Verse 4 says this, will never fade, nor will it be defiled. It doesn't waver with the stock market. It's unaffected whether whoever comes into office doesn't matter. Thieves cannot steal it. Vandals cannot destroy it. 
And Peter looks at us in this text and he says, are you having a difficult year? Are things hard for you, Christian? Stand strong in this grace that you have been born again, that you have an inheritance coming your way that is not going anywhere. It is undefiled, unfading. It is protected, kept in heaven just for you. That's the second one. The third grace that he points us to is this. The third grace is you are protected. You are protected. It says this, stand firm in this grace you are being protected by God. The, the logic here of verse 4 and 5 is this, is that our inheritance is being guarded by God just for us. And we are being guarded by God for our inheritance that we will receive on that last day. Verse 5 says this, You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The language that Peter chooses to use here is a military language. You know, uh, are being guarded like a military type guarding that is taking place here. God is guarding you like a military soldier. How much more confidence can, can we have, right, of being guarded by God in this military-type posture? Right? And that's, that's incredible. I mean, think about the power of our omnipotent God, all-powerful God, covering and guarding that. Now, the logical question in wrestling with the protection and what kind of protection is Peter referring to in chapter 1? I mean, after all, the original recipients of this letter were people that were just facing great difficulties, right? They were facing great hardships in their life. I mean, these were just dear Christians who just had just, you know, low income, low wages. They, they lost their property, lost their income, lost their wages, maybe even lost loved ones in their life because of the faith in Jesus. And, the, and they're logically asking, where was God's protection when my business shut down? Where was God's protection when that harm came my way? The protection that Peter is talking about is so much bigger than just temporary trials, so much bigger than physical opposition. The idea that he is protecting us is for eternity. Peter is saying, the world can hate us, the world can swing at us, the, the world can take our money, the world can actually just take our lives, but they cannot take our salvation. Our soul is secure in the safekeeping of God's military guarding for us, that we are never at risk, right? eternally speaking, never at risk. And what that means is that we may face trials, we may face tribulation, we may face difficult days, we may face devastating diseases, but no difficulty, no disorder, no disease can take us from God and his inheritance for us. You, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I, we are protected in God's good keeping. We're protected in that. 
And for those of us whose faith seems, I don't know, if it's, it's hot one day and it's lukewarm at best the other day, this is good news for us, right? Like in those moments when you might be thinking to yourself like, I, I, I can't hold on. The good news is Jesus is holding on to you. If you say, I can't endure, the good news is Jesus is carrying you. Peter points us to this grace. He says, are you having a difficult year? Are things hard? Stand strong in this grace that you have been born again, that you have an inheritance that is waiting for you, which will not be defiled, and you are kept safe in God's good keeping. So take a deep breath, right? Rest in that protection right there. The fourth grace that Peter points us to that I would call this is your purification, your purification. We're going to pick it up in verse 6, and um, as I shared, we're going verse by verse here in this study, but verse 6, it says this, in this you rejoice, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are times, right, when we're tempted to believe that our trials and our opposition are obstacles to our joy. But Peter starts this verse, and Peter's saying, No, we rejoice in all of this. We rejoice. It's as if Peter is saying, you know, your joy doesn't come from this world. So your joy cannot be taken by this world. Because we have our joy in Jesus Christ. He says, though for a little while you face trials of various kinds. Do you know what he's talking about here? I was spending a lot of time just researching on this topic, and many scholars have said this. What he's talking about is literally, when he says little while, is your whole life. He's saying, though for a little while, your whole life. You're going to have trials your whole life. You're going, to have, you're going to have trials in your youth. You're going to have trials in your adolescence. You're going to have trials in your early adulthood. Right? There are various trials that are coming your way. And he gives us a heads up here. Right? He gives us a heads up. And the thing is this, right, guys? Like Peter is not here diminishing our difficult days. Right? Like he's not doing that. Peter is not minimizing the trials that we face. He's not doing that. But he does two things here. First, the first thing he does is he looks at the length of our trial in light of eternity. He looks at the length of our trial in in light of eternity. And his conclusion is there a little while, just a little bit, just a little bit. It may feel like a long trial, but in light of eternity, 70 years, just a little while. Let me, let me explain it this way. 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember the 55th day of the second grade? Your 55th day of the second grade. Anyone? Right? If you do, that's absolutely amazing if you do, okay? But I will bet, I will venture to guess, right, that your 55th day in the second grade felt like a big day, right? I bet, you know, I, I bet you got up and you went to the closet, you picked out an outfit, you were anticipating just something that day, you learned some things, you, it felt big, it felt memorable, you ate dinner, you spent some time with your family or your friends, and it, it just felt like a big day. But in light of how much time has just eclipsed since and how many life, experience, life experiences that you have journeyed through, right, it is now completely un- unmemorable for you and just completely irrelevant for you. Well, likewise, 33 million years from now, in heaven, right, like our years on earth and all of the accompanying trials that we face on earth will feel like the 55th day of the second grade. Someone may ask you, well, how was your life on earth before? Oh, in my life on earth? Yeah, like, you know, I guess, like, man, I've been playing golf with these angels over here and just enjoying Jesus and just enjoying the new creation. Like, I kind of forgot about the details. Because it just feels like such a long time ago. There were some trials. There were some trials, but they went pretty quick. They went quick. You know, kind of of feels like an awkward dinner date, right, that you just have to endure, and you're just like, you know, please, when is this going to be over? And like, you know, and in hindsight, you look back on that, and you're like, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. And so Peter holds our trial in perspective relative to eternity. The second thing he does, and this is just like the bigger point that I want to talk about is the second thing, right? And now, and in this section that I want to talk about is that he reminds us that our trials are not purposeless, but they are purposeful. Verse 7 says this, that our trials are necessary because they are purifying us, right? Like gold going through fire, Right? The impurities are burned off, so too is our faith. So we go through the, the flames of trials, that, which is not the substance of the Lord. Those things just get burned off. And only the good stuff remains. And it says, to the honor and to the praise of God. So it's as if Peter is saying this. He's speaking to these struggling Christians, and he's saying, listen, I know you're going through a lot of trials right now, trials of various kinds, but I want to encourage you, number one, there's only, it's only going to be here for a little while. And number two, they're not purposeless, but they are purposeful. And Edge City Church, today, I just want to remind us that this is, this is true for us as well. And I want to encourage you today Right? And you may feel like, yeah, this is just like the worst year. All right? This year is just so complicated. It is so confusing. It is so bad. It's so hard for me to see God moving today in this year. But the text assured us that God is at work. He's, he is at work even in trial, that he is purifying 
our faith. 2020, 2021 doesn't get an exception from God's purifying work. In fact, I think he's turned up the heat to purify our hearts. We may want to see God at work out there, but God is using what is out there to shape, to just shine the light on what's in here. 2021, if you're here and you're still worshiping the idol of, I don't know, just like control and comfort, man, I want to say God bless you because mine got, got completely squashed 15 months ago, like when the pandemic hit, and it was just so uncomfortable. But I believe God used that season for a great purpose. And I want you to know it is a grace. And that's what Peter is saying. This is God's grace, that he would, that he would turn up the heat, that, he would just, that we would walk through the trial. And he's saying it's only going to last a little while, a little while, but it is purifying you. God loves you enough not just to work around you and through you, but also in you. And church, I just want to encourage you today, encourage all of us today to lean into this, right? to lean into this. And if you have the stomach for it, would you just shift your prayer away from, God, help me get through this year and turn your prayer into, God, would you shape my heart beautifully through this year? Would you make me more like Jesus through these trials that I'm going through? And I think that's a good and God-honoring posture to have. Peter's saying, are you having a difficult year? Is it challenging? Stand strong in this grace. You have been born again. You have an inheritance that is waiting for you that cannot be taken. You are protected by God. Oh, the trials, yeah. You know what? Those trials, they're purifying you, and that was number four. And number five is this, to stand strong in this difficult season, what I would call new affections. Your new affections, what I talked about. Verse 8 through 9, this is what it says. He says, though you, are, though you have not seen him, right, that's Jesus, you love him. Though, you do, not, though do, you do not now see him, you believe in him. And check this out. And, re- and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's saying, if you have been born again, you're going to love Jesus. And you're going to realize that he is powerful and it is personal and Jesus loves you. And you're going to find out that, you know, you love Jesus in ways that you just didn't love before. And how many of us can say that's our story? Like last Friday, just a couple of days ago, we were having a men's gathering, checking this out on Zoom, and it was just awesome. We had two individuals. I I didn't ask for their permission, so I'm not going to call them out here today. Two individuals just shared their life story, and it was amazing to see. And these gatherings, I'm telling you, it is such a blessing, these men's and women's gathering, all of our community groups. Um, Pastor Binu reminded me to ask uh, the next men's gathering is June 19th, so keep that date. The next women's gathering is July 17th, so keep that date. But on Friday, we had an individual that was talking about just, you know, he was raised in the church, 
uh, just went through the motions, kind of believed that Jesus was, yeah, I mean, he knew about Jesus, was a, you know, just this concept. He was this, this moral sage, kind of like this, you know, this, just this figure. And then a couple of months ago, he really got, just got his heart changed. He just got born again. And now he finds himself just just loving God and just the things of God, and he's coming to all these activities that is happening in this church, and it's been so great to see him and his growth, right? And it says here, right, in verse 8, it says that when we love him, we're filled up with this joy that we cannot put into words. It is inexpressible. You cannot describe it. The joy that you get when you know the love of God and the person of Jesus Christ. When you know that your sins are forgiven and it is real, your inheritance is secure, you're guarded in God's keeping. First Peter is saying this, you will have joy that's inexpressible because of your love for Jesus Christ. Edge City Church, let me say this, Jesus loves you a lot. And when you see that, your heart will fall in love with him as well, and you will experience this joy. And so I want to ask you this question, and the question is this, how is your joy today? If you can rate your joy right now on a scale of 1 through 10, where are you at? Are you at a 2? Are you at a 9? Are you at a 10? Are you at a 5? When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and when we stand strong in the grace of God, we have a joy that is off the charts. It is inexpressible. And and I think that's not only a promise, I think that's a good diagnostic as well to have. Because maybe if we're not filled with joy, maybe it's a good sign that our single-hearted, pure, loving devotion to God, to Jesus, has gotten off track just a little bit. We know that this can happen to people. We know that this can happen to old churches. In fact, in Revelation, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first. And usually a good sign that our pure love for Jesus is disregarded is that our joy is actually diminishing. So can I call your heart today to be reminded of Jesus' love for you and and to ask him today to reinvigorate your love for him? You may be having a bad year, right? You may be having a bad decade, You may be having a hard life, but Peter says, anchor your hope in this. Stand strong on this ground that Jesus Christ loves you. And if you love him, it will give you a joy that is unspeakable. Stand strong in this grace. Our last one for today, um, our sixth and final one is this. It is your privileged position. Your privileged position position. Now, I realize that word privilege is a loaded word in 2021. 
And what I mean by privilege is this. It's this idea here that Peter is driving home is, as he closes out in this introduction to this letter, is that the New Testament believer in Jesus lives in an incredibly privileged time in redemptive history. Right? His point is that we have this incredibly this advantaged just viewpoint to see historically what God has done for his people. And we see this in verse 10 till the end. He says this in verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, New Testament Christian, in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now check this out. Things into which angels long to look. The idea is that Jesus coming coming in the flesh, that Jesus coming for the cross and the resurrection was not God's plan B. It was God's plan, right? Before the foundations of the earth, And in the Old Testament, there were these prophets, and the Holy Spirit would speak to the prophets in the Old Testament that God would reveal uh, to the people. And these Old Testament prophets, they would prophesy, they would predict, they would anticipate the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the one who would come and atone the sins of the world. And every Old Testament book in the Bible whispers his name. Right? Every book peers forward to his coming. They are all just rolling out the red carpet for his arrival. And what Peter is saying here is that the prophets of the Old Testament and the Old Testament believers, they, they waited patiently. They waited faithfully for the coming of the Messiah, but they died before the predictions took, came to pass. Now, they were still saved through faith, but the faith was of the coming Messiah. They didn't have the advantage point that we have today. You see, our vantage point is that we know his name, that we know where he came, that we know where he lived, that we know that salvation comes through a man named Jesus Christ that Jesus walked on water, that he befriended sinners, that he you know, defended the weak, that he stood up to religious just bullies out there, that he fulfilled the Old Testament law of God, and that he died a sinner's death, and that he was buried for three days, and then he rose victoriously, verifying his claim to be God and to be the Savior of this world. And I mean, what a privilege that we get to look back and to know the story that we get to not only hear it from the Holy Spirit through the prophets, but we actually are now the new temple. The new temple is in us. I mean, what a privilege that we have in history to know the whole story. Verse 12, Peter says this, even, check this out, even the angels long to look unto this. Right? I, I like I like, it's like the gospel is just so glorious. It is so amazing that the angels cannot stop looking away, right? They're like guests in the back of a wedding, peering forward, trying to get a glimpse of the bride and the groom in that moment here. Even the heavenly hosts are just so captivated by Jesus 
and his incredible sacrificial love for us. Peter's saying, things are hard, but don't lose sight. And you think you are living in the worst time to be alive? Oh, no, 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 no. You are living in the most privileged time in history that you get to know the name of Jesus and the joy of his salvation. And Edge City, would this be our sure footing in the difficult days as well? Would this be the ground that we stand on? Are you having a horrible year? Begin here. Anchor your joy in these sure graces that cannot be taken away. And I want to let you know today, listen, like preparing this sermon was just hard for me. Like it was just this, uh, you know, it was just difficult kind of going through this, just going through God's grace because like many of us, I tend to kind of sometimes feel sorry for myself and just, you know, just think, man, what a difficult year this has been. Right? Like, man, it's so hard. Can this just be over? And then God goes, boom. <laughs> Cheer up, Sonny. And God calls me Sonny. Cheer up, Sonny. Look at the incredible, incredible buffet of riches that you have in Jesus Christ. Right? Stand strong in this grace. And would I encourage us to stand strong in this grace? As I invite the worship team to come forward, would you close your eyes and would you bow your head with me? In Edge City, I just, I want this to be for our church as well. Would we rejoice greatly in these graces? We are standing at this buffet of graces that can never be taken. Would you feast from the buffet today? Would those graces be what sustains your joy, what puts worship in your mouth, and be what puts love in your heart for your Christian brothers and sisters, that you have been born again, that you have an inheritance that is secure, that you have been guarded by the love of a heavenly father, that you are being purified even through your trials. You love Jesus, and you're living in the best time of your life because you know the whole story. Stand strong in that grace. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, there is no one like you, God. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We love that you are the God that reveals yourself and tells us what's true when a world around us is speaking lies. The world around us says, be afraid, be fearful, be nervous, be angry. Be hostile, be combative. And we read your word, and it says, if you love Jesus, 
you're going to have a joy that is unimaginable, unspeakable. You've been born again. I stand strong in that grace. Oh, God, would you help us, Lord, to ever keep our eyes fixed on you in those moments and in this year. And I pray for our church family that we would stand strong, Lord, in this grace and that our whole lives would be a response to it. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. May you rise as we uh, just worship you for a bit.